Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. The 49er faithful are celebrating the team's spot in the Super Bowl, and Taylor Swift fans are wondering if she'll get back from Tokyo in time to cheer on the Chiefs' Travis Kelsey. Yes, football is big right now. Overall, though, participation in the sport has been on the decline, as more has been learned about the risk of brain injury, especially among kids in California. But you wouldn't know it with Governor Newsom's refusal to consider a ban on youth tackle football or the passionate parents who came out to defend the sport. So where do Californians stand on football? Like all things in our state, it's complicated. We take a closer look next on Forum. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Governor Newsom again made national headlines, this time for his refusal to entertain a proposed ban on tackle football for kids under 12, despite growing evidence of the damage, repeated hits can do to young brains. Football continues to have a hold on the nation, as our governor with presidential aspirations is well aware, but its appeal as a youth sport also remains strong in parts of California, even as high school participation rates have dropped here by about 13%. So this hour, we want to better understand the strength of California's football culture and future here. And listeners, we want to hear from you. Did you play? Would you let your kids play? Has your opinion of the sport changed in recent years? Joining me first to dig into all of this is Kate Wolf, a healthcare reporter for Capital Public Radio. Kate, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Mina. So when Governor Newsom said he would veto a bill banning youth tackle football, he was talking about a bill by Sacramento Assembly member Kevin McCarty, a bill that you've been covering for Cap Radio. So remind us what McCarty's proposal would have done. So McCarty proposed last year in in the legislature, and it came to a head uh, this year, this January, proposed a bill that would have 
phased youth tackle football out for kids below 12. So it would have gradually made it so that kids below 6 couldn't play, then kids below 8 couldn't play, kids below 10, and then kids below 12. So um, it would have kept football intact for kids above 12 youth football programs, um, but it would have uh, caused those programs to kind of atrophy for kids below 12. Yeah, so by 2029, then the 12 and younger would no longer be allowed to play youth tackle football. So what was McCarty's rationale for the bill? So McCarty said there's growing evidence that we can't ignore. And actually, he put this bill forward in a uh, quite a similar bill forward in 2018. He said the time was now then. He's saying the time is really now now um, to ban youth football for kids below 12 because there's just mounting evidence that the longer you play football, the more at risk you are for degenerative brain disease, um, specifically chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Um, and so he really wanted to make sure that California was leading the way in uh, in outlawing this for kids below 12. Yeah, CTE. There's been some interesting studies that have come out from Boston finding that the earlier kids start tackle football, the earlier symptoms of this degenerative brain disease can begin and so on. And you attended the hearing at the Capitol over the bill, which was, you know, further than it had gotten before. What was that hearing like? Who was there? So the hearing was... um you know, it was almost like a reunion of youth tackle football for kids under 12 in the conference in Sacramento. There were a lot of kids there, actually. A lot of parents had brought their children, some decked out in helmets and pads, and they were really trying to make a stand and say, we we need this. This is crucial for our kids. The rewards outweigh the risks. Um, but, you know, McCarty stood tall and he said, yeah, actually, we, we've got to make sure that this uh, doesn't happen, that this is phased out. These kids who are here, you can still play for the next couple of years, but um, the risks outweigh the rewards that you're talking about. We can't let our kids be further exposed to this uh, possibilities of this disease. And so, yeah, so he he brought uh, a pediatric neurologist, um, Dr. Stella Lagarda, and, and she testified and also the um, mother of a, a player for the Detroit Lions testified about seeing her son deteriorate later in life and, um, and understanding once he died and his brain was... Um, his brain was assessed that he had CTE and that really understanding, you know, she wouldn't have had him go through football if she'd known how his life would unfold. Um, truly a tragic story. So um, there was really, you know, this presence of um, this testimony, very powerful testimony on both sides and passion was was really strong there. Um, and the bill was able to pass out of that committee um, and, you know, seemed like it was going to be ready for an, a vote on the assembly floor. Right. And this is before Newsom essentially stopped it in its tracks by saying that he wouldn't, he would not support it if it came to his desk. Really quickly, you mentioned a lot of compelling testimony. What did you hear from parents and coaches who were defending youth tackle football that really stood out? Well, I would say that um, some of the most powerful testimony actually came from Sacramento Sheriff Jim Cooper, who used to be an assembly member um, and who put forward a bill in 2019 kind of as response to the first effort to ban youth tackle football. He put forward a bill saying, let's make this safer. Let's let's make this work. And that bill passed um, and went into effect in 2021. Um, 
And but he was saying this is a crucial sport for kids, especially kids who don't have a lot of um structure in their lives, kids who need more support and, uh, you know, and, and won't need a, a time, a way to exercise, a way to be in community, in family, be supported by their community. So um, that was some of the most. And, mm. and, and you know, he made made points that, that it's become safer in, in recent years and that there are, um, you know, continuing to be advancements in that field. So that was uh, so that some of the students and coaches didn't get to talk too much, um, but they were definitely there with their passion. And what did Governor Newsom say about his reasons for being totally against it and unwilling to consider it? Newsom said that he is gravely concerned about the health and safety of young athletes, but this outright ban isn't the answer. So he wants to work with the legislature um, to strengthen safety in youth football, but still give this parental freedom um, to parents to choose whether or not to get their kids involved. And I think that that idea of parental freedom has really been top of mind for a lot of um, lawmakers and uh and parents in California, we're definitely hearing about it more and more coming out of the COVID pandemic with school closures, um, talking about trans policies in schools. So parental rights are really top of mind, I think, for a lot mm. of legislators here. You spoke with a Democratic strategist. Why did she think that Newsom came out so strong against it before it even got to him? I think she... She knew that Newsom just wanted to or she supposed that Newsom just wanted to throw cold water on this kind of shut down the debate at all because she knew that it could so easily become a zinger in a debate. And um, and, you know, she pointed out that Newsom is a proxy for Joe Biden. He's a surrogate for Biden um, in many of these debates we saw with DeSantis. Um like there is a lot that is at stake this year with an election year. And so, um, you know, she didn't want banning football to be the response or um, she suspected that he didn't want banning football to be the uh, response to uh, you know, Democrats saying Republicans are banning books. Interesting. Yeah, this was Robin Swanson, who also said that anyone with national ambitions doing this would be a death sentence for them as well. We're talking with Kate Wolf, health reporter for Cap Radio. And I actually want to bring into the conversation now, Albert Samaha, an investigative reporter for the Washington Post, who has focused on accountability in the sports world and has also written a book called Never Ran, Never Will, Boyhood and Football in a Changing American Inner City. Albert, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mina. Hey, so I was just wondering if you could characterize for us or give us a better sense of the role that football has played, continues to play culturally in our country, even with all the rising information that we've had about its connection to CTE and brain injury and brain damage. You write in one of your pieces that no American sport has a firmer grasp on the culture than tackle football. So, so how so? How does that get expressed in our country? I think the clearest metric is the television ratings, right? The Super Bowl remains uh, the, the widest watched uh, television event in America. Uh, if you look at the you know 100 highest rated television shows every year, some like 90% of them um, are football games, are NFL games. And it's this sort of ongoing irony that, that we're seeing this tension in the fact that even as fewer and fewer kids are playing football at the youth level, at the high school level, more and more Americans continue to watch football at the professional level. Uh, so the interest in football 
remains and if anything is is growing for viewers even as more and more parents decide they don't want to let their kids play yeah and then there's the high school rituals that i remember participating in as a kid growing up in california and so on but would you say it's like that here in california that the grasp of tackle football is as strong here as it is in many other parts of the country Absolutely. I mean, even in California, even in schools and communities where, um, you know, it, it might not be as a, a sort of passion you see from movies like Friday Night Lights, uh, the homecoming dance, you know, it's still built around the football game. I, yeah. I spent uh, much of my fall uh, following McClatchy High School's football team. They're, they're, they're a high performing academic institution with a range of successful sports programs. Their football team is not one of their more successful programs in it. You still go to their games, you'll see 2,000 kids filling the stands in matching shirts, tossing baby powder into the air, cheering on a team that lost almost all of their games. It, it's still a ritual. And I think one of the ironies with football is that the, the very violence that, that, that makes it uh, necessary to ban in the eyes of some uh, is also the feature that makes it a ritual. You only play it once a week because it's so dangerous, because it's so violent. And because it's so violent, uh, it, it, it teaches, you know, in the eyes of many parents, it teaches kids these very specific virtues of, of resilience, of preparing yourself uh, to face a, a tough world, of building confidence to face your fears. And I think these values that we associate with football are so deeply embedded that even as more and more evidence reveals itself showing the long-term consequences of football, a large number of people still feel like the risks or the rewards outweigh the risks. We're coming up on a break, but you're saying that it is actually the violent nature of it that makes it more valuable to some kids and families because it it promotes like bonding and camaraderie i think is one thing that i read in one of your actually very well reported pieces about a a game here in california but that's such an interesting point that it's the violence that makes it exceptional in people's minds it is you know there's at this point there's very little actual disagreement on the facts of the science themselves. Everyone agrees that it's dangerous. Uh, the difference is the disagreement on whether the rewards or the risks outweigh one or the other. Uh, ah. and, and that's where the tension exists right now. Ooh, I want to know what you think, listeners. Are you somebody who believes that it's a worthwhile endeavor despite its risks? Football is worth continuing and should prevail in this country. Did you play maybe in a youth league? What was your experience? Has your opinion of the sport changed in recent years and, and you disagree? This is something that you would support a ban on, especially for youth. 866-733-6786, the number, email address, forum at kqed.org. We're at KQED Forum on our social channels. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're taking a closer look at the culture and football future of youth tackle football in California, which, according to my guest, Albert Samaha, remains quite strong. When Assemblymember Kevin McCarty proposed a ban on youth tackle football, it received strong opposition, and Governor Newsom pledged to veto the bill if it were to come to its to his desk. Yet at the same time as... Samaha says we know the potentially debilitating long-term effects of head injuries that are sustained by tackle football. So listeners, how do you feel about it? Did you play? What was your experience? Are you a fan? Has your opinion of the sport changed at all in recent years? Do you ever feel conflicted as a fan, worrying for the players or so on? Or if you were to have kids, wonder if you would let them play. We want to get a sense if you want to email forum at kqd.org, post on X, Instagram, our digital community on Discord, or call us at 866-733-6786. We're talking with Albert Samaha, investigative reporter at the Washington Post, and Kate Wolf, healthcare reporter for CAP Radio. So Albert, just before the break, we were talking about its popularity. We were talking about the kinds of things that people have told you they feel like it teaches their kids in terms of resilience and also camaraderie. But it's interesting here in California, right? Because it's one of the states that has had the highest declines in high school participation, no? percent over the last decade, which is higher than the national average. But, uh, you know, when, when you talk to a lot of parents, the, the thing that you're reminded of is that the national incentive structures uh, are still in place. So if, if you are a parent in California and you want your kids to go to college for free, you know, there are more scholarships available for football than there are at, for any other extracurricular activity. There are not scouts coming to your piano recitals to give you full right scholarships because you're a prodigy at the piano. It, it still remains that, you know, billions of dollars in educational funds pour through the football pipeline, with the, even even down to the high school level. So even those parents in California that, that might be skeptical of the sport, that, that might grapple with the moral complicity in, in putting their kids into the sport, the incentive structures are still there, and that makes it a very difficult decision for a lot of people. Yeah, so a 13% decline in terms of high school participation. I think you wrote roughly 14,000 fewer boys in California played high school football in 2022 than a decade earlier. I want to get into those incentive structures that you're talking about. But first, can you tell me where the football hotbeds are in the state? Yeah. So the thing that's so interesting about California, right, it's such a diverse state. So if you look at the national trends in football, you know, the Washington Post, we did this big analysis. And what the data shows is that the, the, the biggest demographic where you're seeing this decline, the clearest demographic are among communities with a lot of uh, white liberal voters. And if you, that's sort of where you align, if you see, if you kind of look at a map of the state, that's where a lot of participation is going down. Everywhere else, uh, you know, California still has some of the best 
high school football programs in the country. Uh, you're seeing this in the Sierra foothills. You're seeing this in the East Bay. You're seeing this in Southern California, particularly in the Inland Empire, in Orange County, in San Diego. If you look at the top 25 list of you know the top high school football countries and uh, the top high school football programs in the country, you'll see you know close to a dozen, you know five to a dozen, uh, depending on the ranking list. Um, that are based in California. So what we're seeing is this increasing disparity between the haves and the have-nots, because while you have a lot of communities in California that are you know, beginning to opt out of football more and more, at the schools, at the communities uh, where football continues to thrive, uh, you have some of the, the hottest hotbeds in the country. So then if it's haves and have-nots, say a little bit more about the role that income or wealth play in a desire or willingness to play football, tackle football at a young age? The data shows that there is a correlation um, between uh, basically the, the, the more affluent you are, uh, the less likely um, your, your kid uh, is going to play football. Um, th- it's still sort of murky. I'm sure our data editor would want me to give a, a ton of caveats on that. But if you just kind of think about it uh, intuitively, it, it makes a lot of sense because uh, football for many communities remains uh, a path a pathway to upward mobility um, for families that might not have to worry about paying for college, that might not have to worry as much about finding ways to get a scholarship. Uh, it can be a luxury to opt out of football. Uh, for families who don't have that luxury, football remains uh, a, a really clear and present uh, option that uh, might not be worth turning away from too early. And, and when I speak speak with these parents who do put their kids in youth tackle football and were you know, rallying against uh, the, the bill that, that, that McCarty pushed forward, their argument was if players in California, if kids in California can't play youth tackle football, they will fall behind kids in other states. And when it comes to them getting to the high school level and being recruited into colleges, they will be behind um, their competitors um, across the border, uh, whether it's in Nevada or Texas or anywhere else. And that will limit their chances of getting that college scholarship. So how about racially? What are the racial demographics around uh, if they are as clear cut? You mentioned it's declining in white liberal communities, but uh, I've also seen that there has been some decline in black communities as well. What we're seeing uh, in, the, in the data we were able to access is that at the college level, uh, across the board, division one, two, and three, uh, the portion of, among the portion of players, uh, the rate of black players has gone up, the portion of black players has gone up, the portion of Hispanic players has gone up, uh, while the portion of white players has gone down. Now, whether that trickles down to the high school and uh, youth levels, we can only speculate. But at least at the college level, uh, we are seeing a, a relative increase in terms of um, black players being represented uh, much higher now. And, and, and that it sort of flipped before 2015. There were more um, white college football players than black college football players uh, that that those two lines intersected in 2015. And since then, the trajectory has continued on with the proportion of white players declining and the proportion of black players increasing. I see. I, I think the speculation, yeah, was that at the football level, maybe the proportion of black players were decreasing. But as you say, it is really hard to to know for sure. Let me go to some calls that are coming in. Dan in Redwood City. Thanks for joining us. You're on. Hi, uh, I'm a local physical therapist in Redwood City. Um, 
you know, you know, I used to watch a ton of professional football, high school football games. I've worked with a couple of uh, professional positions, um, you know, but my interest in football, I used to play a lot of fantasy football with college friends and I've slowly transitioned. I haven't even been able to watch football games just because of, uh, you know, the high injury rates and a lot of, you know, a lot of the talk is about viewership and a lot of external views, but I see people, you know, as they kind of progress from even just youth sports and not a continuation to professional football and the ongoing effects of these types of things, you know, we tend to, you know, when somebody finishes their NFL career, we tend to lose a lot of view of that. And I also feel like with youth players, you know, although they may create these really good team camaraderie and stuff, you know, I was a swimmer, which is obviously a non-contact sport. And, you know, we talk a lot about resiliency and that type of thing, but I feel like the long-term effects are often overlooked because we look at that immediate, what is the change, uh, you know, for, for the youth player. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Dan, thanks for sharing that perspective. Appreciate it. Uh, let me go next to caller Nadine in San Anselmo. Nadine, you're on. Go ahead. Maybe we lost Nadine. Let me go to Marshall and San Ramon. Marshall, join us. Hey, um, I played football. I started playing in the fourth grade. Um, I grew up in kind of like a broken home. Like I was, my mom was divorced. So I grew up with my grandma and my mom. And I had a lot of anger as a young kid. And I really didn't know where to put it. And uh, I bugged my mom for a year to get me into tackle football. And once I got in there, after like the second or third practice, I really didn't know what to do. Then all of a sudden, I remember I was in the field, and I felt all this anger and everything that was making me mad, like I, like through life. Like I bundled it all up, and then I just exploded when the quarterback said hike. And I did that for like four or five plays, and the coaches were like, what the heck? And then uh, they made me linebacker, and I wasn't that big of a guy. And I use that, and I use that anger as a as a tool, and I learned that through football, mm-hmm. and throughout life, um, I always remembered that. But when I was in my early 30s, I got a head injury, and um, it was very very difficult to deal with for many years. And uh, now looking back, um, I'm 50/50 on putting my kid in tackle football i don't have a boy but if i did i would i i probably wouldn't put him in the fourth grade um but i think it is very beneficial to be physical or to learn how to bundle up that anger if any kids have anger like that instead of it Hmm. eating them alive well marshall i really appreciate you sharing that nuanced story And, and it's reminding me albert you played football too right i did yes at the high school and college level or high school level? High school and college, that's right. So, I mean, how do you feel about the sport, right? Did you get a lot out of it? What were, what were some of the things that you got out of it that, that you, you would really want to highlight, like Marshall has, about a really good way to channel his anger in his case? Yeah, I mean, it, it's... it's um... It's complicated to reflect on because I feel like anyone, I feel like we all have these biases, biases to sort of believe in whatever worked for us. So, uh, you know, I, I know that I, playing football, it, it's a scary sport. You know, it, it's the most, I've played a lot of sports growing up. Football was the only one where I was actually scared while I was playing. It would force me to confront fears. 
It forces you to do things you don't want to do. It is a hard sport. It is a painful sport. I mean, the whole reason football blew up in America in the early 20th century was because Americans felt that their country wasn't going into enough wars and they wanted their kids to experience the rigors of war without the threat of death. And, and football was a good alternative for that. So it kind of is rooted in the, 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 the virtues that we instilled in football from the start is that it's supposed to be hard and it's supposed to prepare us to, to, to live that hard life that Teddy Roosevelt always talked about. And that, I think, helped me. But it's easy for me to just attribute that to the path that I took, right? I have many friends who did not play football that probably are even more mentally tough and disciplined than I am. So so it's hard for me to say that my positive qualities necessarily were a result of football and my negative qualities were in spite of football. Um, in fact, I think most of my women friends have way more discipline and like mental toughness that I have, and they didn't have a chance to play football. So I, I do think there's a bit of a fallacy in, in in those of us who may instinctively try to attribute our toughness and mental discipline to our experience playing football. At the same time, that was what I played, and those were the lessons I genuinely gained from playing that. So, so I really am conflicted in trying to disentangle the virtues I gained from football from whatever potential harm it may have caused me, or whatever negative influence it might have had on me. Like perhaps it made me a more aggressive person in a negative way. Perhaps it made me, um, they, perhaps it injected sort of more toxic masculine traits in me in ways that I could avoid it if I had played a sport um, that that wasn't as aggressive and, and physical in that way. So I continued to grapple with the actual impact football had on me. Um, and it's certainly something that has evolved in my mind in terms of how I thought about it 10 years ago versus how I think about it today. Well, do you feel conflicted as a fan, as a viewer, contributing to those skyrocketing viewership numbers? Yes. Every time I, every year when I renew my expensive NFL Red Zone subscription package, I think about my complicity in an industry that will continue to cause harm to the, the players that play it, right? Like, I mean, I think the thing that's so complicated too is, those of us that watch football can justify it by, by, by looking at all these rule changes. You know, the NFL has, has, has really um, promoted, you know, the, the, how they've changed hits, how they've changed the culture. Players go down now instead of just trying to tough it out. And there's all these new concussion protocols. And we can tell ourselves that these are making the game safer and making players um, at lower risk of brain injuries. But we really won't know what difference it makes until – we can look back 50 years from now and, and see what the the brain scans show. You know, it is very possible that the changes that we are seeing in football today have zero impact on CTE rates when we look back on this 20, 30, 40 years from now. Mm. We can only really speculate, right? Because you can't you can't test it until you dissect the brain, at least at this point, with, with, with the science available. So for now, we can hope that it's making a difference and hope that it's making the game safer. But the only thing that's certain is that it's making us feel better about the game, whether it's actually contributing to player safety um, is speculation. And that's something I have trouble grappling with um, every Sunday when I watch. Huh. Well, let me go to caller Mallory in San Francisco. Mallory, you're on. Hey, how are you guys? Oh. All right. So um, I, I played football um, in the Oakland area, youth football, and it was like a big deal for me and you know as a parent you know I wouldn't allow my son to play 
unless he wanted to play himself. I wouldn't put them in on their own. But what I got from the game myself, which I don't think I could have got it any other way, is I learned how to deal with consequences. I learned how to deal with um, risk, all these things, right? Because every play is something going on where you need to take care of yourself. Every, every single play, no downtime, right? So in real life, people follow me because, I, I, you know, I run a sm- small company. People follow me because of how I conduct myself under pressure. And I learned how to deal with pressure there. There's no way for me to reenact this. I played other sports, and I don't think I got that from baseball. I didn't get it from playing basketball. I didn't get it from all those other sports. I got it from playing that sport because that sport had an inherent risk to it that I had to learn how to manage. And I Mm -hmm. find myself in a better position than a lot of my peers that I'm dealing with, even people who are in better situations than me. You know, they tend not to have some backbone. And I just don't think that some other another group of parents should make that decision for another group of parents. And I mean, I see a lot of yeah. this stuff, and it's kind of disgusting to me. Mallory, I'm wondering, just real quick, did did you ever worry about CTE or hurting your head? Um, you know, to be quite frank, you know, I grew up in an era where we rode bicycles and I snowboard. You know, I probably had more head injuries from riding a bicycle as a young person, <laughs> and. You know, I'm not saying that is that you know that this is not a real thing, but I'm just saying that I can see the difference between those who were raised one way and those who were raised another way, right? And you know, I'm I'm equipped to deal with problems, straight up. You know, well, so with that being said, you know, I don't think it should be something that's legislated into place. You know, everybody should make their own decisions. All right. Well, Mallory, appreciate hearing from you. Martha writes, I believe that a ban is the logical public health decision, but it would be extremely unpopular. Why? Most people really don't know the impact of football and the reality of CTE. I would propose a mandatory disclosure program with a graphic description of what science says about the deadly impact of even a few tackles. We're talking about the culture and future of football in in California. It's a state that has seen declines in high school participation. It's a state that has shown, especially in certain wealthier communities, a real decline in participation in youth tackle football as more is being learned about head injuries being sustained by tackle football. It's a sport that in lower income communities, the incentives to participate in are high, but as Albert Samaha has covered, there is a lot of concern and reluctance among parents there as well about whether or not the dangers outweigh the benefits or vice versa. We're digging into all of it today on Forum with Albert Samaha of the Washington Post, Kate Wolf, health reporter of Cap Radio, and you, our listener, sharing your experiences of football, your opinions of it, conflicts you may have if you would let your kids play. We want to know at 866-733-6786. The email address forum at kqed.org. On our social channels at KQED Forum, Discord, Instagram, X. We'll have more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about football in California in the wake of Governor Newsom essentially stopping dead a bill to ban it among youth, tackle football among kids under the age of 12, um, as well as the fact that there was a very strong anti, uh, anti-ban anti <laughs> that, uh, that came out, parents and coaches who came out to Sacramento to protest a ban on youth tackle football. We're wondering why it still has a hold in California, even at the same time as many parents and listeners are expressing concern about it, its health effects in terms of brain injuries, brain damage, and so on. And we're hearing about your experiences and how you feel about tackle football. We're talking with Kate Wolf as well, healthcare reporter for Cap Radio, Albert Samaha, who has written for the Washington. Post, Washington Post series, Divided States of Football. He focuses on accountability in the sports world as an investigative reporter for the Washington Post. You, our listeners, are joining and Let me go to Rich in Orange County. Rich, you're on. Hi, thanks. Yeah, um, I enjoy your topic here. Uh, I'm just trying to focus on what, what it is. In fact, um, we're talking about uh, youth football and under 12, and that's what Governor Newsom banned. But um, I've been coaching uh, a high school sport for 14 years, and there's a lot more to learn than just the sport itself, if you will. Uh, For example, uh, sportsmanship and structure and how to practice, working with others in the team and taking direction from a coach and those kinds of things. And and I think if a kid's going to be banging their head against the ground, uh, too often, he's not going to learn a lot of that stuff, and um, it's going to affect him going forward. Mm. What um, what sport do you coach, Rich? I, I do coach golf, mm. and uh, you don't want to get hit in the head with a golf ball, trust <laughs> me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and but the, you're and, saying and, that uh, essentially you can get those kinds of benefits in other sports, some of the benefits that people are talking about in sports other than football. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you can get it in football, too. Um, but why do they have to have tackle football in, 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 in youth sports? Mm-hmm. They can go to flag football and yeah. reduce the, 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 the specifically the head injuries. Now, uh, yeah, the flag football can work and they can still learn the, the rules of the game of, of football. They can learn, uh, again, sportsmanship and, and how to um, – work as a teammate and how to take direction from coaches, et cetera. But um, yeah, the violence can, can wait <laughs> until well, they're, they're fully developed as a, a uh, you know, to, to be stronger, to support any kind of potential um, violence, if you will, or de- uh, effects on your body. 
Well, Rich, thanks thanks for weighing in. And I do want to talk about that a little bit with you, Kate. So there is talk about flag football being a safer alternative. And as you mentioned at the top of the show, there's been a lot of talk about the ways that they have tried to make youth tackle football safer. So I just want to I just want to dig into those a little bit. Can you just remind us for youth tackle football, what are some of the changes that have been made since a new law went into effect to put sort of new structures on it, new rules and policies on it in 2021? Right. So in so yeah, this is a bill that was proposed in 2019, the California Youth Football Act, and it went into play uh, in 2021. Uh, so it requires more certifications for coaches, um, more equipment review for helmets, for pads, um, matching people based on size and weight. So uh, trying to avoid whenever possible a real David and Goliath matchup, and really limiting the full contact practices that kids are allowed to participate in. So kids under 12 are only allowed to practice full contact uh, tackle for 30 minutes a day. And that can only happen two times a week. And it can't happen at all during the off season. So um, there have been these changes and they were finding, yeah, people were getting a lot of concussions in practices more than games because practices were happening more often than games. And so they limited the amount of time kids are practicing, but are still giving them enough time to, you know, learn the tackle game. Um, but something I will say about foot flag football is that, you know, the NFL has recognized that this is a place where they need to put money in and build it up. And so they have put um, a ton of money into building up flag football programs around the country. And I think that uh, there have been studies, though, that um, flag football is more more often available in areas where there is higher educational attainment. So um the presence of flag football programs is very unequally distributed. And I think, you know, we talk about mm. we talk about like um, parental freedom. I know Mallory, um, who was, was did youth football in Oakland, was talking about we got to let um, parents choose. But it really brings up this question of what choices exist. Right. If you don't have a flag football uh, program in your community, then you don't have that choice. You know, if I talked to kids who said they love track, they love the other sports that they play, but their flag, but their tackle football coach can pick them up and take them to tackle football practice and their track coach can't. So I think that, you know, when we talk about parental freedom, we also need to talk about like the actual choices that exist for people in their communities. Well, this is writes as a nurse, I've witnessed a 16 year old lying in the hospital bed paralyzed from the waist down as a result of football and the terrifying look in his face as no one was offering any option of recovery back to normal. That could be your child. We need to keep young boys and men safe. Our macho culture won't work. Ron writes, I support a family's choice to have their kids play tackle football, but then when that kid gets brain damage later in life, society shouldn't have to pay for their health care. There should be a medical insurance pool supported by football families to pay for their kids later medical care. This would be like AAA members paying for vehicle towing. Marjorie writes, I was a huge Cal football fan growing up, but never encouraged my kids to play themselves. Once my son got to high school, he wanted to play football. I told him if he wanted to play, he could be a kicker. 
He's never played organized football. I'm torn about parental choice. I wish as a culture we valued public health more than we do, and we should teach kids more about public health in high schools. Albert, you had sort of raised the question, though, well, first of all, around this question of making tackle youth tackle football safer, whether or not we will really know if those steps were effective for decades now. And I think what Kate is bringing up in her last comment is the fact then, so then who will bear the burden of brain trauma as we figure this out? And it sounds like it's in less affluent communities that that is the case. Is flag football the best middle ground here? Is it where you see the benefits of football remaining and the safety improving, Albert? I think there's sort of diminishing returns in terms of the families that cling to tackle football, cling to tackle football because of the things it has that flag football does not. Hmm. And Flag football, I think, does offer an alternative for maybe, you know, kids that might want to play in high school or just want to play the sport in general um, and and never want to play tackle football. But in terms of it replacing tackle football, I think a lot of the folks that play tackle football now um, believe in it in a way that they they sort of call flag football a, a different sport. And, you know, all this discussion about sort of the unique traits that that football instills in people, it really does sort of have these echoes of American exceptionalism that Hmm. that I keep thinking back on because there are, you know, 200 plus other countries in the world that don't care as much about tackle football as we do. (laughs) And I'm sure they have plenty of discipline and mental toughness and know-how and how, you know, leadership skills and all the things that, you know, people like me growing up attributed to our ability, you know, our, our, our time on the football field. So, I think when we think about, you know, put things in like that sort of perspective, I'd be, I bet someone from another country listening to this conversation would be like, man, all these people really believe, you know, these Americans really (laughs) believe that the sport only they play makes them better than everyone else. But, but that is, I mean, I guess it's probably not surprising that we do cling to these ideas of American exceptionalism. But, but I do think that like, that's the sort of paradigm shift that needs to happen if there's ever a future where football is not sort of this dominant cultural pillar it's that it has to come from a place where the virtues we ascribe to football um, can come from other places. Um, and, and until that shifts, it's hard to see football losing its grip in the country. Mm-hmm. Let me go to caller Tony in San Bernardino. Tony, you're on. Hello. Um, so in ninth grade, I decided that I was going to reinvent myself and become a jock because I'd always been in band and uh, <laughs> Uh, a brainiac and just not doing uh, sports. But I wanted to, I, well, my name was, had been Anthony, and I went to Tony to try and, you know, toughen it up. And I uh, went out for football in ninth grade, and I uh, ended up not playing football, uh, primarily because I went to uh, one of our first practices where we were geared up in our uh, shoulder pads and helmets. And the other guys didn't like me because I already hadn't been with them and Pop Warner and all that. And, um, so we're, we're getting down, we're like, you know, uh, crouched into, uh, crouched into our little, uh, head to head about to go battle each other. And, um, you know, uh, the guy across the, the way from me is like, I'm going to kill you. And, uh, you know, I didn't really want to get killed or get <laughs> hurt. And I heard the, the coach tweet the whistle and I just stepped out of the way and let the guy hit the dirt. He was 
pretty grumpy with me, but I just decided to protect myself, and I didn't want to, you know, I didn't know about CT, I didn't know about um, concussions, but I knew that I didn't want my, I didn't want to be damaged. <laughs> yeah, so someone's so. saying, I'm going to kill you. You're like, I'm out, okay? <laughs> right, I'm no, out. Okay, <laughs> I don't think I need to be a jock that bad. <laughs> well, Tony, thanks for the story and appreciate the call. Uh, Jim writes, I played four seasons of football at a Bay Area high school right before CTE entered the mainstream public discourse. I never had a concussion, but experienced hundreds of sub-concussive hits. I first experienced mental health issues as a sophomore in college and still grapple with them today. I'll live the rest of my life not knowing if playing football permanently injured my brain and caused or worsened those issues. And just to put a finer point on that, Kate, yes, it it's not necessarily just these dramatic hits that cause concussions, but it is the repeated subconcussive, right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, it's hard to hear that from Jim. And I think that a lot of people who are former athletes are reckoning with some of the cognitive impairment and behavioral changes that can come up um, after about you know eight to 10 years after people have stopped playing. But I would say that it's I think there's been an increasing awareness that it is not just concussions. Um, it is these subconcussive hits that are, um, as a as the neurologist, pediatric neurologist that I talked to described it as, um, as the cables to your computer of your brain getting frayed and broken. So um, the nerves in your brain getting taking these hits inside your skull and um, really taking that damage. And it's not something that a helmet can stop. It's really about the um, impact of the brain against the skull. And this CTE is still a bit of a mystery, right? Uh, but we know enough to to know that this is uh, showing up disproportionately in not just NFL players, but in kids who just played in amateurs like, like Jim did for four seasons in high school. Mirrorline listeners, you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Kate Wolf is a health reporter for CAP Radio, and Albert Samaha is an investigative reporter for The Washington Post. This listener writes, when I moved to America about 25 years ago and first saw football, it reminded me of the country itself. America is a bully state, and so is football. So it's entirely apt for the greatest American sport to be a sport like football. I'm so glad my boys played lots of other sports. Paul writes, prohibition rarely works. Informed consent is necessary for parents to exercise their freedom responsibly. Albert, has football gotten politicized the way that, you know, we have become just generally as a nation with regard to where we fall on certain things being being different, whether you're conservative or liberal? Oh, yeah. And in ways that continue to shift and evolve. I remember covering the NFL in like 2017, like when like Trump was in office and Colin Kaepernick was kneeling yeah. and there were these pro boycotts on both sides where people who supported Kaepernick were boycotting the NFL because of his, because he was being blacklisted. And then people who didn't support Kaepernick were boycotting the NFL because players were kneeling. It is, I mean, one of the most unifying common grounds in America left is football. Yeah, and so or it sports, is one of the few places. Yeah. In sports generally, but 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 particularly football, right? Where fifty six million people watched, you know, the Niners play play the Lions, and a lot of those people are Democrats, a lot of those people are Republicans. And today, as our our, our post analysis found, there is a pretty um, aligned 
a correlation between your voting habits and whether or not you're likely to support football. So uh, it is, like so many other things in this country, becoming swept into the culture wars. Yeah, likely to support continuing with youth tackle football, not necessarily whether or not you're a viewer, right, of football. Correct. That's what aligns. Wow, fascinating. Uh, well, this listener writes, the hardest football head impact I ne- I ever experienced was during high school when the coach slapped the side of my helmet. It really rattled me and he got my attention. Our quarterback died from a neck injury three years later, sustained in a head-to-head collision. Oh, no. I enjoyed college intramurals much more. Steve writes, in my youth, I played peewee football and later high school football. Since that time, I have grown more aware of the debilitating injuries to the brain and joints. This has spoiled the sport for me. I see no problem with allowing children to play tag football. The proposed legislation got things backwards. It is actually the harder contact forms of the sport that occur in college and professional sports that one should think about banning or severely restricting. So Kate, you mentioned before that Kevin McCarty introduced this or attempted to, I think in 2018 and has attempted to again So are we likely to see another, in this case, youth tackle, not maybe what Steve thinks should happen, but youth tackle football, especially when the heat of this election year, I guess, dissipates? It's a good question. Um, McCarty is leaving the assembly to run actually for Sacramento mayor. So he is no longer going to be in that same position to be putting that forward. But I'll say that as a reporter going to this hearing, hearing the comments of the legislators who ended up passing it out of the committee that it was in, um, there's definitely a sentiment in the legislature that is sympathetic to this idea of banning youth tackle football below 12. Um, And I think I would not be surprised at all if it came up again. But uh, with our governor being who he is and having the having that final say, I I don't see this going away anytime soon. Hmm. Well, really fast, Albert, and I know this is a big question, but we have just under a minute. What's the NFL doing with regard to flag football? And and will that create more incentive for more programs that will be more accessible for more people? Uh, they are funding it. They are promoting it. Um, they are, you know, make, they're promoting um, girls flag football leagues specifically. Um, they're, you know, it's going to be an Olympic sport, I think, in 2028. So it is becoming a bigger and bigger part of the, like, football ecosystem. And I almost wonder if it's like a, NFL hedging their bets, where it's like, if America eventually decides that the risks are too great, if too many brains get studied and have CTE, if too many high-profile beloved players like Junior Seau kill themselves and are found to have CTE, um, maybe flag football will be the thing that they just fall back on. So maybe it's just like a strategic hedge that allows them to continue to push this very dangerous sport, knowing that if we decide we need to do something else with our time on Sundays, there'll always be flag football. Um, either that or it's just widening the pipeline. Um, the NFL is one of the great institutional survivors of this era. And, you know, everything they've done has protected the league. And, you know, 10 years yeah. ago, I thought the league was going to crumble and fall the way of boxing um, or horse racing. Um, but, but it hadn't. It, it hadn't. hadn't. Still- well, Albert Samaha, Kate Will, thank you both. Thanks, Mark Nieto, for producing this segment. Thank you, listeners. This is Forum. 
Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.